I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine, California, 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. We are streaming live also at KUCI.org 24-7. And I hope you're having a magnificent day. It's a beautiful day here in the Fallis, the Southern California. <laughs> I think of it as the Fallis, the Grey Havens. And today it is a little gray. Um, oh, I have to tell you, yesterday, was it yesterday? No, Sunday. I was down at the beach, and it was kind of a, one of those uh, sunny days, a little very chilly, and little clouds in the sky, but deep blue behind the clouds and it was so amazing looking out over the ocean I love Corona Del Mar Beach because it's up on the cliffs and you can see far out over to the ocean and if you look way far to the west you can see Catalina and I always often think that it kind of represents well maybe not Valinor maybe the other little isle <laughs> but anyway the sea was silver glass just like in Um, the Annie Lennox song from Return of the King and All Will Fade to Silver Glass which also comes from the book of something that Gandalf said and that Frodo said uh, about his time in the dream he had in the house of Tom Bombadil but anyway it was amazing because I couldn't I thought why is the ocean all grey and then where the sun was breaking through it was just like liquid silver. It was so beautiful. And I realized it was because of the gray clouds. So the clouds that were in the sky were not white. They were gray. And then between them you could see blue. So there was different places where the sun was breaking through the clouds and shining on the water. But it's the only time I can remember that the whole ocean spreading out was just a sea of gray and silver glass. And it was amazing. In fact, the tide, uh, there was hardly any waves. There were just kind of gentle waves washing up on the floor, on the shore. And so the ocean was very, you know, as still as the ocean can be. Of course, there are swells and uh, things like that. But it, I just stood there for the longest time. And my dear heart was yearning <laughs> for elven home. Uh, but it was, it was truly silver glass on a, on a gray sea. It was beautiful. I hope if you were in the area, you got to see it very much reminded me of Middle Earth and of the elves longing for to go into the West where there are the undying lands. So in case you are just tuning in and wondering what in the world is going on here, this is What Would Arwen Do? I'm on here Tuesdays 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 
And sometimes I have interviews, sometimes I play things from the professor, and sometimes I just talk to you about things that are on my mind and that I hope will make a little difference for you, because the elves are all about hope and about love and about connection and community and things that we care about, the planet and the environment and each other. And if you'd like to contact me, I would love to hear from you. You can message me at askmelf at yahoo.com, and I would love to hear from you. You can find podcasts of this show and of all our public affairs, or almost all of our public affairs programming, on our home site at KUCI.org under archives and podcasts, or on our public affairs website, KUCITalk.org. And this is a show where we celebrate all things Middle Earth. And um, I'll read you a little quote from Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle Earth. Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. And... As an elf, I believe that this elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression. So today we're going to be talking a bit about, it's, let's see, January 29th. In just three days, it will be February 1st, and we will be entering the month of love. (laughs) And I know for some people it's a joyous time. For some people, it's excruciating. Depending on where you are with regards to love or romance or even yourself. And so today, I'm going to talk about a few different things and read some things from the biography of J.R.R. Tolkien by Humphrey Carpenter about J.R.R. Tolkien's um, Romance with Edith Bratt, who he met when he was 16, she was 19, and he was forbidden to talk to her until he had come of age. And so not every road is a smooth road for those who do find romance, but also love can be delayed, and sometimes it can be, like, seemingly non-existent. In fact, in the stories, in the histories of Middle-earth, especially in the Silmarillion, there are many stories of love, requited and unrequited, even among the elves. And one of the things I have to say about the Hobbit movie is there's no romance. I confess, I'm one of those girls that likes romance, and I appreciated the story of Arwen and Aragorn getting, you know, a little bit of prominence, and even the little thing with Eowyn thinking that she was in love with Aragorn, but really she was just kind of in love with being a warrior princess and wanting to be a queen and make a difference, you know, in, in a warlike way. And, um, but she ended up finding her true love, which was, is always a wonderful thing. So if you are like 
me looking at the month of love rapidly approaching and are not in a romantic relationship, then I have some suggestions and things that I do during this time of the year to keep myself from kind of getting under, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure from the media and from Hallmark and even from our friends who are going, you know, who are in love and married and, you know, have all these wonderful things that their loved ones are planning for them. But so it is a month of love. And I thought today we would um, hear a little bit about the history of St. Valentine's Day. But I also wanted to bring some music music in for us today because I'm an elf and so not all the music I like is necessarily from Howard Shore which we heard earlier at the beginning of the program from the Fellowship of the Ring Academy Award winning music but there are songs that I always feel are kind of elvish in nature and there's one in particular that I love that I think is appropriate for well any time of the year but I think especially so for the month of love when sometimes well our friends do a appreciate us and they often take time to show their love for us but sometimes we just got to learn how to love ourselves and to show love to ourselves and sometimes that can be something as simple as buying yourself a beautiful bouquet of flowers and enjoying it and not being sad that some lover hadn't sent it to you so i'm going to play a song call from women of the world acoustic from sandrine kieberlein and it's Mon Voyer des Fleurs. I send myself flowers. This is KUCI in Irvine. J'ai décidé de me faire du bien, de me faire couler un bain, d'étaler toutes les photos de moi, de les commenter de haut. En bas, je vais m'envoyer des fleurs, me parler que de moi, des éloges à haute voix, des roses pour me féliciter d'être moi. And that was Sandrine Kiberlane. Mon voyage des fleurs, I send myself flowers. And who knows, perhaps this could be your song for yourself for Valentine's Month, or maybe even the first 14 days leading up to St. Valentine's Day. The translation of the lyrics are, I decided to do right by myself, to draw myself a bath, spread out all the photos of myself, to praise them up and down. I'll send myself flowers, talk to me about me, praise myself loudly, a bunch of roses to congratulate myself for being me. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, right, like I want to celebrate me. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. There's a wonderful book that you might consider getting by Louise L. Hay called You Can Heal Your Life, but I think it's really more about healing our perspective of ourself and she has 
wonderful, wonderful exercises. There's even a companion book to it that I have and refer to often that has exercises for helping us to learn how to love ourselves. And we may think that we do, but quite often we do things always putting other people first, always putting ourselves down, refusing to accept compliments, um, things like that don't indicate that we do in fact love ourselves. So just saying, just saying. <laughs> this is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tani Tanuviel, and we are coming up to the month of love. And there's lots of wonderful love stories in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, especially in the Silmarillion and even in the Lord of the Rings, well, in the appendices. But the backdrop of the story of Aragorn and Arwen is very, very important. I'm going to read a bit today from J.R.R. Tolkien, a biography by Humphrey Carpenter, about J.R.R. Tolkien. This gives you a little insight into this amazing man who wrote these books for us. Um, And this is when he and his brother... Hillary went to live in this house. Uh, Father Francis was concerned uh, that um, they were not happy where they were uh, living with their Aunt Beatrice. And so um, he had this thought of this Mrs. Faulkner who lived at uh, Duchess Road behind the oratory. And here I'm going to begin reading from the book. It says, she gave musical soirees which several of the fathers attended and also she let rooms. He decided that her host might be a more pleasant home for Ronald and Hillary. Mrs. Faulkner agreed to take them. And early in 1908, the boys moved to 37 Duchess Road. It was a gloomy, creeper-covered house, hung with dingy lace curtains. Ronald and Hillary were given a room on the second floor. The other occupants of the house were Mrs. Faulkner's husband, Louis, a wine merchant with a taste for his own wares, their daughter, Helen, Annie the maid, and another lodger, a girl of 19 who lived on the first floor beneath the boys' bedroom and spent most of her time at her sewing machine. Her name was was Edith Bratt. She was remarkably pretty, small and slim, with gray eyes, firm, clear features, and short, dark hair. The boys learnt that she, too, was an orphan, her mother having died five years previously, and her father some time before that. In fact, she was illegitimate. Her mother, Frances Bratt, had given birth to Edith on 21 January in 1889 in Gloucester, where she had perhaps gone to avoid scandal. So, Edith just, the anniversary of her birthday just passed us by, 21 January. Uh, Back to the book, for her home was in Wolverhampton, where her family owned a boot and shoe manufacturing business. Frances was age 30 at the time of Edith's birth. Afterwards, she returned to the Birmingham district to brave the gossip of the neighbors and to bring up her daughter in the suburb of Hansworth. Frances never married, and the child's father was not named on the birth certificate, though Frances preserved his photograph and his identity was known to the Bratt family. But if Edith knew the name of her father, she never passed it on to her own children. Edith's childhood had been moderately happy. She was brought up in Hansworth by her mother and cousin Jenny Grove. And it goes on to say a little bit about um, um, she had inherited a small amount of land and um, she stayed on at Mrs. Mrs. Faulkner's, but she soon found that while her landlady was delighted to have a lodger, 
who could play and accompany soloists at her soirees, the question of actually practicing the piano was quite different. Now, Edith, dear, Mrs. Faulkner would say, sweeping into the room as soon as the scales and appreggios began, that's enough for now. And Edith would go back sadly to her room and her sewing machine. Then the Tolkien brothers arrived in the house. She found them very pleasant. In particular, Leash, in particular, she liked Ronald, with his serious face and perfect manners. While Ronald, though he was acquainted with few girls of his age, discovered that familiarity soon conquered any nervousness on his part. He and Edith struck up a friendship. True, he was sixteen and she was nineteen, but he was old for his age and she looked young for hers, and she was neat and small and exceptionally pretty. Certainly she did not share his interest in languages, and she had received only a rather limited education. But her manner was very engaging. They became allies against the old lady, as they called Mrs. Faulkner. Edith would persuade Annie, the maid, to smuggle tidbits of food from the kitchen to the hungry boys on the second floor. And when the old lady was out, the boys would go to Edith's room for secret feasts. Edith and Ronald took to frequenting Birmingham tea shops, especially one that had a balcony overlooking the pavement. There they would sit and throw sugar lumps into the hats of passers-by, moving to the next table when the sugar bowl was empty. Later they invented a private whistle call. When Ronald heard it in the early morning or at bedtime, he would go to his window and lean out to see Edith waiting at her own window below. When two people of their personalities and in their position, romance was bound to flourish. Both were orphans in need of affection, and they found that they could give it to each other. During the summer of 1909, they decided that they were in love. Writing to Edith long afterwards, Ronald recalled, quote, My first kiss to you and your first kiss to me, which was almost accidental. And our good nights, when sometimes you were in your little white nightgown, and our absurd long window talks, and how we watched the sun come up over town through the mist and Big Ben toll hour after hour, and the moths almost used to frighten you away, and our whistle call, and our cycle rides, and the fire talks, and the three great kisses. That's from the chapter Private Language and Edith from J.R.R. Tolkien, A Biography. And I wanted to read um, here later, once uh, their first son was born, and they were living, um, Edith uh, brought the child back to Yorkshire, Yorkshire, moving into furnished rooms at Roos, a village north of the Humber estuary. On days when he could get leave, he and Edith... J.R.R. and Edith went for walks in the countryside. Near Roos, they found a small wood with an undergrowth of hemlock, and there they wandered. Ronald recalled of Edith as she was at this time. Her hair was raven, her skin clear, her eyes bright, and she could sing and dance. She sang and danced for him in the wood, and from this came the story that was to be the center of the Silmarillion. The tale of the mortal man Beren, who loves the immortal elf-maid Luthien to Nouviel, whom he first sees dancing among hemlock in a wood. And with that, we will hear from the professor himself with his story of uh, the shorter version that we find in The Lord of the Rings that Aragorn recites the story of Luthien 
Amberin, here, read by J.R.R. Tolkien. This is KUCI in Irvine. I will tell you the tale of Tinuviel, said Strider, in brief, for it is a long tale which the end is not known. There are none now except Elrond that remember it aright as it was told of old. He was silent for some time, and then he began not to speak, but to chant softly. The leaves were long, the grass was green, the hemlock umbels tall and fair, and in the glade a light was seen of stars in shadow shimmering. Genuviel was dancing there them to music of a pipe unseen. The light of stars was in her hair and in her raiment glimmering. There Beren came from mountains cold, and lost he wandered under leaves, and where the elven river rolled he walked alone and sorrowing. He peered between the hemlock leaves and saw in wonder flowers of gold upon her mantle and her sleeves, and her hair like shadow following. Enchantment healed his weary feet that over hills were doomed to roam, and forth he hastened, strong and fleet, and grasped with moonbeams glistening. Through woven woods in elven home she lightly fled on dancing feet, left him lonely still to roam the silent forest listening. There off the flying sound of feet as light as linden leaves, or music welling underground in hidden hollows quavering. Now withered lay the hemlock sheaves, and one by one with sighing sound, whispering fell the beechen leaves in the wintry woodland wavering. He sought her ever wandering far, where leaves of years were thickly strewn, by light of moon and ray of star in frosty heavens shivering. Her mantle glinted in the moon as on a hilltop high and far she danced, and at her feet was strewn a mist of silver quivering. And winter passed she came again, and her song released the sudden spring, like rising lark and falling rain and melting water bubbling. He saw the elven flowers spring about her feet and healed again, he longed by her to dance and sing of the grass untroubling. Again she fled, but swift he came, Tinuviel, Tinuviel, he called her by her elvish name, and there she halted, listening. One moment stood she, and a spell his voice laid on her. Beren came, and doom fell on Tinuviel, that in his arms lay glistening. As Beren looked into her eyes within the shadow of her hair, the trembling starlight of the skies he saw their mirrored shimmering. Tinuviel the elven fair, immortal maiden elven wise, about him cast her shadowy hair and arms like silver glimmering. Long was the way that fate them bore o'er stony mountains cold and grey, through halls of iron and darkling door and woods of nightshade morrowless. The sundering seas between them lay, and yet at last they met once more. Long ago they passed away in the forest singing sorrowless.
the music from the trailer for Return of the King. This is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. Hello to all my friends who may be listening here in Southern California or through the Internet, especially from my favorite message board, theonering.com. I'm hoping one day to have Jonathan on to... Um, talk to you about the creation of this wonderful message board that I believe was back in 1999 is still going strong. Has um, much more to offer than just uh, updates on the movies coming out. It's actually a community of people who love the work of J.R.R. Tolkien and are kind of geeky. <laughs> We're all kind of geeky. But many of us have met in person. In fact, about 1,200 of us showed up in December of 2003 for the premiere of Return of the King. And we had about five days of partying and conference and convention and uh, costuming and um, room parties. And uh, we on the day that Return of the King came out, we saw all three movies back-to-back, the extended versions, and then saw Return of the King. It was quite magical. So if you are, especially if you are a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, or of Middle Earth, I would love to hear from you, especially if you are here in Southern California or here in, uh, at UCI. It's sometimes hard to find other people who are as crazy about this as we are and feel that, I know for me, Middle Earth is like a real place. I've just, I've spent so much time there and I do very much appreciate the movies. I think uh, there are some aspects of Middle Earth that I couldn't nearly have imagined as well as Peter Jackson brought them to the screen. The Mines of Moria, for instance, where the fellowship is there and Gandalf lights his staff and you see these giant dwarven uh, realms and even Minas Tirith and Helm's Deep. Amazing, the, the battle there. And so I'm very much grateful to Peter Jackson and all of his company for bringing the movies to the screen. I enjoyed The Hobbit. I've only seen it three times. Um, I saw Fellowship 28 times <laughs> and would have seen it more, but it left the theaters. I think that was in early May of 2002. I didn't start going to see it until March 24th. And... Um, but it was an interesting time of transition in my own life. But that movie just, it still remains my favorite of all of them. And so I'm looking forward to the next movie. And if I get a chance, I may go see it again. Again, I'm, I have to confess, I, there's not much f- other than uh, I love the scenes with Galadriel, especially with Galadriel and um, they're in Rivendell with Gandalf. But it's a really short little bit. The rest of it's really about dwarves and guys and things like that. So, But I do enjoy it. I did enjoy it. So today, though, we're talking about Valentine's Day. And it is fast approaching. And I was thinking, you know, did Valentine's Day, was it like really, maybe it was created by Hallmark. And I thought, that doesn't seem right. So I went on you know, one of my favorite places, and it may be yours too, for gathering information, Wikipedia. And there's also another uh, website, uh, history.com, that is very helpful. But I'm going to share a little bit with you 
about the history of Valentine's Day and give you a little challenge to to enter into the month of love, perhaps with the intention to love yourself or maybe to show love for your friends. There was one Valentine's Day, I'm not sure if it was last year, it might have been the year before, that I journaled for the f- 14 days leading up to Valentine's Day, and I wrote down things that I really liked and loved and appreciated about myself because I was struggling with, you know, just being alone and um, not that I'm alone. I have some of the most amazing friends on the planet, but I didn't have, you know, that little romantic thing that uh, we always so much love and appreciate (laughs) when it's in our lives. And so I thought I would use the time to uh, develop love for myself and for my relationship with God. And so it was really a wonderful time. And I felt extremely, extremely loved that year. Um, just because I was intentional about um, about really just taking some time each day to realize how much I was loved. You know, where I get to live, the amazing woman that I live with, the place where I work. I love the people that I work with. I'm very privileged to have a job. I only have to drive three miles to work, and I have a flexible schedule, and they pay me pretty well. Amazing benefits and health insurance. And uh, so, yeah, it, things are, we're, are, we're good and are good. But this thing about Valentine's Day, I feel like a lot of times we start, as it gets closer, we start getting this little uh, tension because, you know, everywhere you go, there's Valentine's and flowers and, you know, the messages from the media about what you have to do and how, um, and I, I feel like there's a lot of times, even if you are in a love relationship, there's so much pressure to make sure that you spend a lot of money and get the right thing and I don't know that I don't think that's what love should be about (laughs) so I have a wonderful book that I misplaced uh, from Daphne Rose Kingma on the art of relationships and I was going to read a little section from it today it was just beautiful and also there's a wonderful book by Don Miguel Ruiz called The Mastery of Love and it's not just about a romantic relationship it's really about Uh, fostering love in any type of close relationship that you would have with someone. But just for the record, Valentine's Day, um, or St. Valentine's Day, or commonly known as Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine, is observed on, and this is from Wikipedia, February 14th each year. It is celebrated in many countries around the world, although it remains a working day in most of them, as it does here. And I believe this year is on a Thursday. St. Valentine's Day began as a liturgical celebration of one or more early Christian saints named Valentinus. Valentinus. Valentinus? The most popular martyrology martyrology associated with St. Valentine was that he was imprisoned for performing weddings for soldiers who were forbidden to marry and for ministering to Christians who were persecuted under the Roman Empire during his imprisonment. He is said to have healed the daughter of his jailer, Asterius. Legend states that before his execution, he wrote, quote, from your Valentine as a farewell to her. So today, St. Valentine's Day is an official feast day in the Anglican Communion as well as in the um, Lutheran Church. And let's see, I believe it's also celebrated within the Catholic Church. 
the day was, oh, and I like this. So the day was first associated with romantic love in the circle of Geoffrey Chaucer. So this is way, you know, like 14, in the 1400s, so a thousand, more than a thousand years later than um, the early uh, martyrs. Um, so first associated with romantic love in the circle, circle of Geoffrey Chaucer in the high Middle Ages when the tradition of courtly love flourished. By the 15th century, it had evolved into an occasion in which lovers expressed their love for each other by presenting flowers, offering confectionery, and sending greeting cards, known as, quote, Valentines. Valentine's Day symbols that are used today include the heart-shaped outline, doves, and the figure of the winged Cupid. Since the 19th century, handwritten valentines have given way to mass-produced greeting cards, and don't we know that? <laughs> Visit any Hallmark, or actually in just about any store, and their card section is generally taken over by valentine cards at this time. I thought it was interesting, too. Uh, let's see, down here, some of the legends. Um, and it says there's no evidence of any link between St. Valentine's Day and the rites of the ancient Roman festival uh, Lupercalia, despite many claims by many authors. The celebration of St. Valentine did not have any romantic connotations until Chaucer's poetry about Valentine's in the 14th century. So that's from Wikipedia. So that's where it all came from. And then history.com, I thought they had some... Oh, you might want to visit there. They've got all these little videos, things you can uh, click on. The Science of Love, Valentine's Day by the Numbers. Um, another Science of Love, History of Chocolate. Mm, that sounds like it might be good. Uh, a Valentine's Day photo gallery. It says, see, the legend of St. Valentine, basically the same thing as we heard from Wikipedia. The history of St. Valentine's Day and the story of its patron saint is shrouded in mystery. We do know that February has long been celebrated as a month of romance and that St. Valentine's Day, as we know it today, contains vestiges of both Christian and ancient Roman tradition. But who was St. Valentine, and how did he become associated with this ancient rite? The Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named Valentine or Valentinus, all of whom were martyred. So one of the things that we might do on St. Valentine's Day is to take some time to be thankful for those who gave their lives for the faith. That's what I intend. One of the things I intend to do that day, I think it will be quite appropriate. So uh, we've got a little time. I wanted to have a little more music. In fact, I have a song from a movie soundtrack, Sleepless in Seattle, and Jimmy Durante, I just love him, and he sings a lovely little song, and this, I like to hear, I like to think of, when I think of this, sometimes you can think of it as making someone else happy, and sometimes you need to make yourself happy. Here's Jimmy Durante, this is KCI in Irvine. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. 
Make just one heart-to-heart -heart you You sing to one Smile that cheers you And yes, that was Jimmy Durante with Make Someone Happy from the soundtrack of Sleepless in Seattle. Lovely romantic comedy, although my favorite with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan is still You've Got Mail. I am Tani Tanuvio. This is What Would Arwen Do? on Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. This is January 29th, and we are moving into the month of love. And my challenge to you is to find ways to enjoy love as we move into this time. I mentioned earlier a wonderful book by Louise L. Hay called You Can Heal Your Life, which has also a companion book. I loaned my little book of You Can Heal Your Life to someone, but I really quite love the companion book. It has uh, lots of different exercises that you can do for helping you to let go of the internal discourses that you play to yourself about self-loathing and begin to uh, um, replace them with internal discourses about self-loving. And a lot of times that's really what it takes. We have internalized so much negative things that have been said to us and so many hateful things and teasing and people mocking us and making fun of us, whether it's siblings or classmates or whoever it is. Um, and we internalize those and then we begin doing it ourselves. Um, and sometimes I think we need to really very consciously work at replacing those destructive inner dialogues with more positive ones that really are the truth about ourselves. And you may say, well, I don't know if that is true. Maybe I am miserable and worthy of self-loathing and loathing by others. Well, that's not what God says. And I'm sorry, but I do believe in God, and I do believe that we were made for love. And if we really look around, um, especially when we look, if we can't look at our family, because for some of us, the family's not the place to look for love, but when we look at our friends and people who have loved and supported us and let us love and support them through difficult and joyous times throughout our lives, then I think we have to say there's something to this love thing. So we're just about to the end of the program. Again, the book by Louise L. Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. And the companion book is wonderful. It's very colorful as well. You can get it at your local bookstore. And I'm going to read this beautiful affirmation. I actually printed it out for myself, and I carried it around. And every once in a while, I just read it to remind my heart of, of who I am. And so I'm going to read it for you now. This is from Louise L. Hay from You Can Heal Your Life. She says, and maybe if you're not driving, you could close your eyes for a moment and just allow these words to sink into your heart and settle there. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but pay attention. <laughs> and to driving. Deep at the center of my being, there is an infinite well of love. I now allow this love to flow to the surface. It fills my heart, my body, my mind, my consciousness, my very being, and radiates out from me in all directions and returns to be multiplied. The more love I use and give, the more I have to give. The supply is endless. 
The use of love makes me feel good. It is an expression of my inner joy. I love myself. Therefore, I take loving care of my body. I lovingly feed it nourishing foods and beverages. I lovingly groom it and dress it, and my body lovingly responds to me with vibrant health and energy. I love myself. Therefore, I provide for myself a comfortable home, one that fills all my needs and is a pleasure to be in. I fill the rooms with the vibration of love so that all who enter, myself included, will feel this love and be nourished by it. I love myself. Therefore, I work at a job that I truly enjoy doing, one that uses my creative talents and abilities, working with and for people whom I love and who love me, and earning a good income. I love myself. Therefore, I behave and think in a loving way to all people, for I know that that which I give out returns to be multiplied. I only attract loving people in my world, for they are a mirror of what I am. I love myself. Therefore, I forgive and totally release the past and all past experiences, and I am free. I love myself. Therefore, I live totally in the now, experiencing each moment as good, and knowing that my future is bright and joyous and secure. For I am a beloved child of the universe, and the universe lovingly takes care of me now and forevermore, and so it is. And you may be thinking, well, that's kind of hard for me to make those affirmations. But perhaps if you would take some time to practice learning how to self-love, maybe it will start by getting Louise Hayes' book, You Can Heal Your Life, and the companion book, and beginning to do some of those exercises. And it may not be so hard, and some of those affirmations may begin to come true. And so, as we enter into the month of love, and also coming up soon is the Lenten season, but I thought I would share a little scripture also from what God says about this. And this is from 1 John 5, where John says, Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who who loves has become God's child and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could live through him. This is what real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us in sending his son to be the way to take away our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us that much, we should also love each other. And regardless of what your theological position is about sin and all of that, I think we can all concede that we aren't always exactly loving to each other. And so we definitely have all have some room for improvement. I know I do. <laughs> Daily, sometimes hourly. This is KUCI in Irvine. I am the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, Tani Tenuviel. And just looking at the month of love coming up and sharing some ways perhaps that you can love yourself. Maybe you could start by writing, starting a journal. And just once a day, just once a day, one little sentence, write down something that you love about yourself or that you appreciate about yourself or that you've done, some nice thing that you ever did uh, or some, you know, maybe it's the way you laugh or the way you 
put on your eyeliner. Maybe you like the way that you look. Maybe it's the way you style your hair. Maybe it's the way you know how to keep the car running well or change the oil or mow the lawn or just something. And this isn't just for girls. This is for guys, too. (laughs) So I'm going to play a little song from Eva Cassidy, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because... I'm feeling a little wistful today, and I know that somewhere over the rainbow, there is that land where all of these things become resolved, and we don't have to work so darn hard at them. (laughs) And maybe it's Elvin Home, maybe it's Heaven, but one of these days, I'm quite sure there is still hope that we all will find it. So until next week, I hope you have a wonderful time. I would love to hear from you, oh, at askanelf at yahoo.com. And if you will send me your address or a postal address, I will send you a Middle Earth Valentine. And I will be happy to do it and to send you a little note to remind you that you are, in fact, loved. So you may send that to me at askanelf at yahoo.com, and I will send you a Middle Earth Valentine and reminder that you are loved in time for the Great Day of Love. February 14th. This is KUCI in Irvine, and here's Eva Cassidy reminding us that somewhere over the rainbow, there's a land. KUCI in Irvine. Oh, I better make sure I get the right one here. And please stay tuned. 5 o'clock, Blue and Gold Report, and then coming up at 6 o'clock, Heather McCoy will be here with Rachel Ray's Cooking Accident. This is KUCI in Irvine.